Hey, everybody, thank you again for tuning in for another episode of Cultured and Country Unscripted. Welcome to the Cousin Party. Today, I have none other than my good friend, Mr. KJ. Let me tell you a little bit about KJ, though. So I feel like we met online before we ever met in person, right? He was he was running from office, running for office. He down in the low country, but I knew this dude had a different vibe about him. He was talking about hip hop, books, and sneakers. And so today, check out my or another one of my Carolina country cousins, Mr. KJ. What's going on today, brother? You got the juice, man. How you feeling? Man, I'm feeling good. It's raining. <laughs> <laughs> that indeed it is. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, man, thank you for um, you know, finding the time to be able to tune in with me. Let, let's talk about it, man. So let the people know where, where you hail from. Where you from? Yeah, uh, I I heard you say I'm from the Low Country, which is interesting because people from Charleston don't consider themselves part of the Low Country, even though we are in the Low Country. We uh, there's a running joke that uh, you know, we live in the great state of Charleston because it's Charleston and then it's South Carolina. Hey, uh, I feel the same I, way. Well, I'm I'm from North Charleston, South Carolina. I was born here, moved to Germany after I was born. My parents were in the military. Then we moved to Tacoma, Washington. Came back when I was about five years old and been here ever since. Oh, wow. Hold on. Tacoma, Washington. Yeah. yeah. All right. So yeah. Seattle has been one of my favorite cities to visit and people always thought I was crazy. They were like, Hey, why do you want to go way out there? I don't think it do is rain all the time, but do you ever like go back or have you been back? No, never been back to Washington since we left. But, um, I can say that even as a young child, I remember it rained a lot in that area. Um, <laughs> also I remember, um, and I had to ask my mom this once I was like, yo, were car dealerships like indoors or under awnings or something? And she was like, yeah, some of them were, I mean, it just, it really did rain that much, which is why they have such a high of, you know, suicide rate, man. I mean, the weather is gloomy more often than not. Well, let me rephrase that more often than it is down here. Yeah, exactly. And so it has a psychological effect on people. And that's also probably why coffee is so popular. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, you you dropping some gems, and I don't even think you know it because I never even put it together like that. Yeah, what well, the the first Starbucks is in Seattle. Yep. I, yeah, I've been to it. Yep. It's the one by the market. All yep. right. Well, man, because you know how I like to do it. Like you know, kick your shoes off, relax, and let's let's build this thing up. So let's let's start on. I guess like me and you kind of met through hip hop as well because I remember you yeah. inviting me down. And yeah, that was that was a wild night. Um, KJ it was with, a wild night. <laughs> KJ with the open bar. That's all I'm gonna say. Uh, <laughs> they asked, Yo, they asked me questions night. after the open bar. Wow. Um, well, so yeah, we met online, um, and I was putting together. Um, I was contracted by the city of North Charleston, which is another reason why people need to get involved in local politics because exactly. you know the federal government would never pay me to put on a hip-hop-themed coloring show for adults, a coloring sheet show for adults, but the city of North Charleston did. And so that's why you came down. You know, I I found you online. I don't exactly know how we met, but I know I found you online. I followed your story, you know, your engineering and producing, your relationship with, you know, Killer Mike and 
a lot of other, you know, Atlanta rappers that I respect and then found out that you were an elected official. And I was like, cool. Let me ask Buddy if you come down to Charleston. And I didn't think you would say yes, but you did. And we got to rapping and that's how it happened. Hey, man, I I love our state, man. And I I truly want to thank you again for giving me the invite down because that was fun, man. It was really fun. It made me think about, you know, like like you said, like a lot of folks don't know this and I don't say it all the time. Well, I guess they see it in the little promo stuff, but like, yeah, I'm a mayor, I'm an elected official. But, you know, you don't know what you can do as an elected official. Oh man, KJ, this might be the perfect time to kind of segue into something. But um, you, <laughs> you don't necessarily know what you can do as an elected official till you see what other people are doing. And right. I'm one of them people, I'm not shy to dig into an area where I may be completely oblivious or ignorant in like, you know, I'm like, okay, so the city of North Charleston doing stuff like this, huh? How can we do this in my area? Who can we do this with? Who could be that ambassador? Cause you truly became an ambassador for your, your city, your community. And like, honestly, your region in the state. So, well, let's talk about, it. let's talk about politics a little bit. So Please. Yeah. Tell, tell the people some, some, a few years ago you ran, um, mm-hmm. I, I ain't gonna take your thunder. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you, you talk to the folks. Nah, man. Uh, in 2016, I was working as a, um, what was my title? Student concern specialist, uh, for an alternative behavior middle school, which basically means for people who aren't aware that when kids get kicked out of their school, they came to our school in Charleston County. So we had kids from all over the county um, who were not the best behaved, let's just put it that way. And, you know, it was our job to try to still educate them, but also rehabilitate their behavior so that they can go back to their regular school. Um, We were on spring break. It was March of 2016. I'll never forget. I'm sitting on the couch um, next to my mom watching TV and uh, Bree Maxwell calls me out of the blue. And shout out those, to Bree. Yeah, shout out to Bree. Bree, uh, I think she's working on Jamie Harrison's campaign right now. Yeah, yeah, she's political director with Jamie. Mm-hmm. So she called me out of the blue, um, which, you know, a little backstory, we both graduated from South Carolina State University, home of the Mighty Bulldogs and the Marching 101, so that connection was already there. All right. Um, but she, she called me out of the blue and was like, yo, you ever thought about running for office? And I was like, yeah, one day, you know, like when I'm 50, um, (laughs) not now. (laughs) And she was like, well, actually, I meant now because there's an opportunity where you live at that, you know, you live in what I learned. I didn't know this phrase before I started running for office. You lived in a uh, in a flippable district. Mm, Okay. And I was like, "Okay, I don't know what that means, but that sounds pretty dope. And she explained what it meant. And she was like, you know, think about it. And I was like, all right, I'm going I'm to do that. I'm going I'm to legit think about it. And then she was like, but don't think too long because the deadline is like in two days. Oh, and I'm man, like, come on, Bree. Yeah, exactly. No I'm like, 48 hours? What, is, <laughs> what is going on here? So she's like, if you want to talk to some other people, I can get you in touch with some other people. And she did. One of those people ended up being uh, Trav, Trav Robinson. That's his last name, right? Robinson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, everybody Trav, know loud talking Trav. Yeah, and you know, you know, Trav is now the director of the South Carolina Democratic Party, but at the time he was just you know a guy in the know. I don't know exactly what he, what he did in 2016. 
So anyway, um, Trav and Tyler uh, and some other people I spoke to kind of gassed me up. And I was like, all right. You know, I talked to my parents. And my parents were like, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't win, you don't win. But you never know. Maybe you'll win. So I officially put my name down to run for House of Representatives District 15, which would represent uh, Hanahan, North Charleston, and Goose Creek, uh, South Carolina. Um, and long story short, I lost by 5%. Oh, which man. is really good because I had no clue what I was doing. Hey, those are good numbers, though. I mean, 5%, you got your name ID up. Um, you had to raise some money. You had to meet people that you probably weren't talking to before. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's a Yo, loss, but it's a win. It was a loss, but it was definitely a win. And I'm glad I didn't win because, you know, what I didn't realize at the time is that you only make like $10,000 as a state rep. Yeah, $10,400. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was and I was already poor because I was a student concern specialist. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, if I got to quit that job to do this job, bro, I don't know how I would survive. I legit do not know how I would survive. So. Yeah. Let, hold on, hold on. If you don't mind, let, let's, let's unpack yeah. some of that. Let's unpack some of that. Um, For the folks at home listening, uh, Flippable District, Um, when, when KJ said that, he was right. Like a lot of people, like, I, right, what does that mean? I've never heard that term. Most of the time, when somebody's talking about flipping anything, they think it's a house. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to buy it, I'm going to fix it, I'm going to flip it. A flippable district means, like, okay, the demographics have changed or changed it drastically um, in a in an area that's favorable for another party to step in, like, you know, Democrat versus Republican. Or, you know, Correct. like, you'll look at some. I don't know, everybody's seeing this across the country in different areas where you'll be like, hey, okay, this seat has been held by a Republican for 20 years, but you know that in, like you said, in that district, more people have moved in, younger people have moved in, more people of color have moved in. Huh, this may not be a Republican district after all, but unless you have a Democratic challenger, who knows if we could flip the district? So that's what that means. But then also, thinking about when you went to sign up the run, there's like no FAQ sheet, you know what I'm saying? To say like, all right, what questions do people ask when they decide to run? You, you got to find out one, where to go, how much it costs. Yeah. And then people just start, well, question, did you even have a map of your district by that time? Not one bit. No, not, not at all. I had no map of the district. I couldn't find a map that was uh, current, suitable yeah. for my needs. You know what I mean? Um, so we had to guess. Like, we were, we were able to find a map. But when I say we, I also want to give a shout-out to Jessica Bright, who acted as my campaign manager. We were our uh, – we were each other's first, if you will, in the political arena. She was my first-ever campaign manager, and I was her first-ever oh, wow. client, if you will. That's um, – oh, I did not know that. That's interesting. Shout yeah. out to Jessica because she ran Bernie's campaign th- this year. She did. She yeah. was the deputy director, and then she became state director for South Carolina um, for Bernie Sanders. So, yeah, we, we just figured it out. We just found a map that would be sufficive, uh, at least give us a very good general idea of, of where everybody was. And we just really threw a bunch of stuff against the wall and see what's stuck. And there are some things that I wish I would have done 
differently now. And there are some things that I wish that I did not do. Uh, but you know, it's all, it's all a part of the process. And I'm sure as we go through our conversation, um, you know, I'll illuminate some of those yeah. wishes. So man, I, yeah, we definitely gonna come back to this, but you know, like, let's, I, I like to keep the convo just regular. Cause like give people a chance to know who you are. Cause I mean, you've been moving and shaking and, you know, I still want a pair of those um Carolina mustard. Uh, what was those shoes you did? What about two years, a year ago, two years ago? So, so yeah, just to be, to be clear, I, a lot of people think that I designed those shoes. I did not. I was friends with, uh, am, excuse me, am friends with JP Hudson who owned, um, a high end sneaker boutique in Charleston called sneaker. Mm-hmm. And he actually, it was a collaboration between his sneaker store and Sacconi Originals. Um, oh, got it. Yeah. And so what happened was because we were really good friends, I got like the first pair. Um, um, and so when I posted them, people thought that I designed the shoe because I was the first person to post about them. But it wasn't. It was that was all <laughs> JP. So all credit to JP for that. Man, definitely shouts out to JP. Um, and when you send this to him, I wear a size 13. If he ever want to put me in line, I got a few pesos. I could pay for something if it's dope. Listen, you're going you gonna to have to go to StockX, bro. They sold out. I think he I think he ordered 1,000 pairs oh, or 1,400 pairs, and he sold out. I got a pair. My dad got a pair. My mom, my brother, like everybody I know bought a pair or multiple pairs so he sold out and then he closed the store he yeah. like he wanted to leave with a bang well hey that that definitely was a smart play because because what they were they were actually called a carolina mustard right correct and it came with a uh, an extra set of laces that looked like they were in a mustard packet um it was dope i mean he designed that thing very well i wear those shoes to this day i i probably need to put them on ice because i'm gonna end up running through them and then I won't have another pair to wear, yeah, but it was, yeah. it was gorgeous. Oh, man. Wow. That, okay. Man, because I, I, I truly thought, like, that was that was all you. Well, man, that that's super cool to know more about that. Well, let, all right. So, obviously, you're, you're a sneakerhead, right? Would you call yourself a sneakerhead? I'm retired, man. I'm out the game. At one time, <clears throat> I had maybe 200 pairs of sneakers at one Oof. time. Um. My brother had even more. And here's the crazy thing. You know, my brother had so many sneakers that he was actually able to sell a good bit of his collection to help pay for his wedding. Wow. Oh, man. that Y'all heard that. And, I mean, for the people out there that's like, I guess people are getting it now more. Like you like you referenced yeah. it, like StockX. Like yeah, sneakers yeah. is, to me, is wearable art, right? Is when you got the... I don't know who who said it. I, I just watched something. And he said it. I think it was um, on Patriot Act. Um, Hassan. He was like, yeah, Hassan Minaj. Yeah, he was like, sneakers is wearable art, but it's also a bridge. He was like, that kid working at Applebee's got the cement threes, and he's working to get those shoes. But Jay Z yeah. sitting courtside with the same sneaker, yeah. and it's like, yeah. you can't tell me that this bridge isn't real and it's not a thing that affects like all ages, men and women. Cause I, I shout yeah. out to a couple of my homegirls that got like real collections and they going at it. I say they be yeah. cheating sometimes yeah. because they feet small, but, um, 
But yeah, hey, you know, and and to be fair, you know, I don't think women's sneaker heads. I think in 2020, they're starting to get their due. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you got some really good collaborations that are just for women. Jordan Brand re-released, you know, their original sneakers for women through uh, exactly. like Melanie E. Um, I want those sneakers. You know what I'm saying? Like those <laughs> things is tough. But in my older age, or as I'm getting older, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, you know, 100 years old. But as I'm getting older, I just, I stopped caring, man. I just realized, I'm going to tell you what happened, bro. This is the thing that made me realize, okay, bro, you you might be doing too much. So there's two really quick stories. Story number one is um, there was a, mm, I'm going to say 10 years ago, mm-hmm. Nike SB was really hot in the streets maybe oh, 10 man. 15 years ago i had them all and exactly <laughs> and so there was a there was a sneaker store down here called fairmont skate shop mm-hmm. um they were the only per i want to say they were the only person in the low country with a nike sb account so i mean they had everything dunkles dinosaur juniors like all kind of crazy stuff. For those of you who are not into sneakers, y'all just Google it. There you uh, go. We, we, Did we they have the Melvins though? <laughs> they had every. This dude had everything, bro. Um, but you know, at the time, it didn't really feel that it was special. But it didn't feel. If I known that some of those sneakers would have then gone for fifteen thousand dollars, I would have never worn any of them. Man. Um, but you know, it is what it is. So. Anyway, he lost his Nike account somehow, and then there was a sneaker store uh, in a skate shop in Sumter that opened a branch in Charleston called Continuum Skate Shop. Mm. And they were coming out. This before they opened the door, Nike was releasing their Ferris Bueller SBs. I remember that. Um, inspired by the you know Ferris Bueller Day Off movie. Yeah. And so I hit these dudes up. I was like, look, I know your store's not even open. I'll pay extra. I just need to get a pair of those Ferris Bueller's before. I need to get those shoes right now. Bro, we met on Spring Street, downtown Charleston. Now it's really nice. Back then it was still a little, you know, Mm -hmm. a little hood. And we met on Spring Street at like 10 o'clock at night. Looked like a drug transaction (laughs) because this store wasn't even open yet. So I go to the store. It's dark. I go in there. He gave me, you know, I give him the money. He gave me the shoes. I get home. I look at the shoes. I'm like, yo, these is trash, bro. Oh. The pla- the leather was kind of plasticky. The embossment, oh. you know, was, was, it was just, it was like, I can't believe I did all this fussing for these sneakers that end up, you know, not being good. I think I ended up selling them after a while because I just didn't. I didn't care for them. And then the second story that really made me feel like, okay, my, you're doing too much. Going too far. I, um, ex-girlfriend, let's, let's put this out here. We, she is my ex-girlfriend now for good reason, because I did stuff like this at the time. Uh, we lived together and, um, the copper foam posits came out. I remember them. And no one in Charleston sold them. The only store that I could find that had them, was a foot action in Greenville, South Carolina. And so from North Charleston to Greenville, oh that's a three-hour drive. You burning 26 up. Bruh, I got in my car, drove all the way to Greenville, bought the sneakers, got back in my car, drove back. I gave seven hours of my life for a pair of shoes. Get home, 
My girlfriend's like, hey, where's your half of the rent? I'm like, uh... I got these phones, though. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, yeah, I after got a you. while, that just really led me to believe that, yo, you doing too much, man. Like, sneakers don't... I'm not even making no money off this. Like, I'm spending all my money. And then, you know what it was? I realized that I was never satisfied. Shout out to Hamilton. Um, <laughs> the play, not yeah. Hamilton Grant, the homie. Um, exactly. Shout out to Hamilton Grant, though. And Lil Ham. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was just never satisfied. Every time I got a pair, I'd enjoy it for like the moment. And then I'd be like, what's the next pair? What's the next pair? What's the next fine? What's the next fine? And um, I kind of got over it. And that really led me to, you know, adopting a more minimal lifestyle before I guess it became like a trend. Oh, um, exactly. I got rid of everything, man. So, anywho, that's why I'm a retired sneakerhead. But I still, I mean, I keep up with the sneaker blogs. I know what's coming out. I know who got what. I'm just not buying them anymore. Man. So, no, I I get all of that. Get all of that except for the the, the rent part. Come on, man. You got to pay that rent, though. But <laughs> Of course. Priorities, right? Priorities. Exactly. Well, I'll tell you, at the height of my sneakerhead collection, like, it benefited me greatly that I lived in Atlanta and I worked Mm -hmm. the stake on you. So, Mm. you know what I mean? So I'd be like, hey, if such and such sneaker coming out, I'm going to call Mike, I'm going to call Big, and I can get them. You know what I'm saying? I can just show up at work the next day and they there and I just got to pay somebody some money. Or you got rich friends, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I got them for you. What? You bought me yes, sneakers? <laughs> but, hey, like, what started it, though? What started your your collection, if you could think, um, like, what was that pivot? I mean, I listen, I can remember to the T when I realized I was obsessed with sneakers. It was in, um, do you remember when Reebok used to sell? Emmett Smith was their poster guy. Right? Yes, I remember that. Yeah, and they had the big, the Frank Thomas Big Hurts. Yep. And then they had the uh, Emmett Smith preseason joints, the turf sneakers. Oh, I remember them with the cool sole, with the little knots yeah, on Yeah, exactly, exactly. Even though I don't really wear a whole lot of Reeboks, I got to give credit to Reebok because they were the reason that I really started caring about sneakers. Um, and then also in middle school, that's when the... I don't know what they call them now, but when we were when we were young, the uh, Carolina 11s came out, the all-white yes. joints with the Carolina blue hit. They came out in middle school, and this boy named Carlos got them, and I'd never seen a pair of 11s in person. <laughs> and I saw those things, and I was like, what? I, I'm going I'm to I'm keep the language clear. What is that, bro? Like, what are those? Hey, Exactly. Oh, that's and so then, funny. at the same time, in middle school, the Hot Boys were a big deal, right? Yeah. So, had them well, Master P, yeah, Master P was a big deal. Then going into high school, the Hot Boys were a big deal. But they were all wearing Reeboks in Louisiana at the time. You know, Soldier, Soldier yeah, Reeves, Soldier Reeves. Jeans, you know, Reebok Classic, all that stuff. So, yeah, Reebok and Jordan really started my love of sneakers. But I didn't really start collecting them until I graduated from college because I had my own money and I could buy my own sneakers. So was it like a part of like the culture though? Like not just like you and let's say like you and your friends that were 
kind of getting into shoes? Like, was it a part of like the neighborhood? Like, when you go to the the game on Friday, was that what you saw? Like, did you see mm. everybody with the Reeds on? Everybody with the the Elevens or the Jordan Ten? Like, yeah, I think I think to be honest with you, um, it was less about sneaker culture and it was more about being fly. Got you it. know what I mean? Because we talk, we talking about the early, we were talking about the mid '90s, late '90s. Sneaker culture, as we know it now, wasn't really a thing, right? So there was a couple of us that would admire each other's sneakers, but again, if we knew now what we knew then, or reverse, if we knew then what we know now, then all the sneakers that I had when I was, I would have kept every single pair, man. Um, Cause it wasn't a culture in the mid nineties, you know, it was, it wasn't a thing yet. You, you know, what's so wild about that. Um, me and one of my good friends, like childhood friend, like we actually met over sneakers. Like I'm in like fourth grade. I had on my, was it my Riddick bowl Fila's all black. Oh. Uh, well, back then we didn't call it what the uh, microfiber suede or whatever. It was just called yeah. new book. You know, people don't even talk about new buck no more, but man, I had on them and he had on, oh, I forget what he had on, but he also had on a cool Jack. They had on like an apex. Um, the apex. See, people forget about, exactly. People forget about apex. <laughs> Yo, so here's the deal. I think that sneaker culture, if we want to consider it, that was way better in the nineties, in the early two thousands, because, you had Simply all the accessories. It wasn't, it wasn't dominated by one brand. Because remember, when we were in middle school, Grant Hill had the feelers. The, the hills, the, bruh. The hill twos and the hill threes. Some things was crazy. So you had Reebok throwing out heat. You had Fila throwing out heat. You had Nike throwing out heat. You had Adidas. You had Apex. Every, look, you know what I'm saying? Everything. You still had the cons. Like Grandmama with the converse. Like, See, that, see, that's what I'm talking about. That's the that's that that's the culture part. And but here go another part to add to it. When you leave the feet, like I said, like Buddy had an apex jacket. He had a Charlotte Hornets apex jacket. Everybody had that starter pullover. Or you yeah. had. I remember Reba had a a line of like preseason jackets. They were like kind of long, like what the coaches yeah. wore. And but yeah. like to your point, like in that '90s era, like just the the culture of it all and how people looked and like especially being down south man we were just trying to we just trying to keep up but we had our own thing you know we don't want to yeah. just like nobody yeah. from new york like i mean no diss to the, the bros out there rocking tims but that just went my lane you know it's not <laughs> practical it's yeah. not practical it's hot when you in south carolina yeah <laughs> exactly it's, it's hot not practical at all yeah you get um, them wheat tims you're like man i will ruin these things man yeah so but yeah, so that to me, that brings it to like when you look at just the culture of things. How do you feel? And I know that you've been you've been very vocal about it because of you know where you live, being in the Low Country, um, with North Charleston, Charleston, and just the culture of it, the history of it. Like, what part do you want to pick to discuss? You want to pick current events or? Kind of educate the people on what, yeah, I mean, what it symbolizes I, as a as a state and as for the country. 
Yeah. Um, so a lot of, I mean, you're right. I do a lot of things. I'm all over the place. And one of the things that I've been doing the last couple of years is really trying to make sure that Gullah Geechee culture is given its proper respect. Um, and it's not just me, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't include, you know, people like chef BJ Dennis, um, son Michelle and, uh, Harvard who teaches Gullah, my homie son, uh, Dr. Jessica Berry at, yeah, my my homie Dr. Jessica Berry, who just wrote a very good book that I wrote the forward for, the Little Gullah Geechee book. She's um in in charge of speech pathology at South Carolina State. Oh man, got Victoria it. Smalls, who was at the um uh, International African American Museum and the Penn Center. I mean, I can go on and on. You know, the Days family, Gullah Gullah Island, like you know, yeah. Like they please did a do lot continue. For, for the culture. Let's shout these people um, out. Make sure they get they just do. Yeah, but but you know, if I keep shouting, then I, then I'm gonna forget somebody, and then they're gonna get in their feelings, and I don't need that. Okay. Um, but <laughs> there's just so many, the, you know, the Geechee experience. You know, they they are doing it for a younger generation now, and and so you know, uh, what people don't know about me is a couple of years ago I wrote the proclamation that the city of Charleston, again going back to local politics, right? I wrote the proclamation for the city of Charleston to accept and adopt red rice day. So uh, there is an official day for red rice in the city of Charleston. And eventually I'd like to expand that throughout, you know, throughout the entire state because of what Gullah Geechee culture, not just means to South Carolina, but means to the world and to American culture. Like you don't have black culture without Gullah Geechee culture. We were the first, if you want to tell us the first black Americans, we were the first. So everything comes from us, you know, the food, the music, jazz, all that, like all that comes from us. People don't realize that jazz started in Charleston. Exactly. New Orleans is known for it, but it started here in Charleston. So I mean, it's just so many things that the culture um, is responsible for. I'm just trying to do my part to make sure that we can remove the stigma of the culture. Cause Mm -hmm. it's also a weird thing where, you know, Charleston is one of the few places in America where you can have an accent of the native language and be ostracized because of it. That, please, okay, I, I got to, I'm called time out right there because that is something I do not understand. Like, I, I've worked with a ton of people, you know, obviously across the state, but a lot of people from the low country, and it's almost like, okay, so I'm from Johnston, South Carolina. Let's go back. I remember... Growing up, um, my my stepdad was from Charleston, and so we would go to Charleston all the time. And one of my favorite things was just going, and they have, like, family get-togethers and just hearing people talk. Because, you know, from Johnson, I'm just country. Like, you you hear me talking now. It's, it's country. You got a little twang in there. You know, my R's are a little rougher. But to hear people talk <laughs> from Charleston used to always just blow my mind, and I loved it. The only only thing I, I would always compare it to, and I, I don't compare it in disrespect because I know how, how Charleston run, is, like, to New Orleans. Like, I had friends from New Orleans in college, and then having friends from back home that were from Charleston. I was like, man, these accents sound so much alike. But I never understood why people from Charleston would, like, cover it up over you. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, man, I love that accent. I trust that accent. You know, yeah. I'm I, I, like, listen, I, trust I like it. that. I might have to make a T-shirt to say "Trust the Accent." Yeah. Um, oh, but, oh man, we so should do it. Here, I got a little drop ship thing. 
going on. We'll talk. There you go. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk business. Um, so here, here's the deal, right? Like you said, you from Johnson, South Carolina, and you having a country accent, being from Johnson, isn't a deterrent. It did not stop you from becoming mayor, right? It did not. You can be, you can be from Georgia and have that southern draw. It's not going to stop you from becoming the president of a company based in Georgia. You could be the president of Delta Airlines, which exactly. is based in Atlanta, and have a country accent because that's what Georgia is. The stigma that goes along with Gullah Geechee culture and the language especially is that of ignorance, right? Because it's thought of as a slave language. Man. So, like, my mom is from North Charleston, born and raised. All my aunts and uncles are from North Charleston, right? Well, North Charleston, little known fact, is a relatively new city. It was only founded, like, in the 70s. Exactly. So they're from Charleston, right? And so, but none of my mom, my mom, none of my aunts and uncles, none of them have the accent. My grandma would never let them talk like they were from Charleston because really? of that stigma. Yeah, there's a bunch of people here, a lot of black people who do not sound like they're from here. No. By design. And that that by, has always blew my mind. Like, and I, I just, man, listen. Yeah, because think of it. We, we, we are the epicenter of American slavery. And so... As polite as Charleston is and lovely as it is, white people ain't never not been in power. And so to white people who hear that dialect, now this is a passed down thing, right? Mm -hmm. So think about the Emancipation Proclamation. Now all these black people are free. If you still run things, you can tell who's a quote-unquote freeman and who just got off the plantation, no pun intended, by their accent. I never thought about that. So then, yeah, you go never generation after together. generation after generation after generation, white people still in power. They still decide where the money goes, who gets the jobs, who gets the contracts. So when you hear that accent, it's, it's built in you to be dismissive uh, towards the culture, towards the accent, towards people who speak that way. And it's just never been addressed. So now in this time, you know, fast forward to 2020, you got a lot of people out here who are like, nah, we're going to own this culture. We're going to own this language and we're going to still run stuff. Um, and it only took, you know, 200 plus years yeah. to get there, but it started, you know, and it's not, again, I just want to reiterate, it ain't just me. It's a whole bunch of people who are, you know, in their own way are elevating the culture, whether it's through cuisine, whether it's through storytelling, you know, a lot of these brands, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I wrote about um, uh, Geechee Boy Mills, which mm -hmm. is a grits company here, owned by some white people. I uh, made a fuss about it years ago. Nothing happened. I never knew you that. You know, we made, a, we made a fuss about Reverie Beer, which is owned by a very nice guy, by the way. He's a very nice guy. I sat down with him and told him a couple of years ago, why naming your beer Gullah Cream Ale is a problem. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, when you don't own it, mm -hmm. all you can do is give your own opinion. You can't make anybody do anything. But in the climate that we're in now, Black Lives Matter, not more than it ever should have, because, you know, they always matter to me because I'm black. But yeah, people 100%. are listening now. And so... 
Now, you know, Geechee Boy is, they're changing their name. There's some charter company, some boat carter charter company. They're changing their name. I don't know what's going to go on with the Gullah Cream Ale, but, you know, Mm -hmm. hopefully Sean sees the light. And so, you know, because a lot of people, a lot of black people are stepping up and saying, nah, bruh, this our culture. You got to stop appropriating our culture. And I'm even working with, you know, I talked about this a couple of years ago, but I, you know, I told my homegirl, Heather, uh, I call her my homegirl. She is not my homegirl. I respectfully, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I respectfully admire her. She's the um, executive director of the Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Corridor, okay. which is a federal, federally recognized designation. So even the federal government recognized Gullah Geechee culture now. For me, it's about codifying the culture. Like Kentucky has done with bourbon. We can make we can make bourbon in Johnson, South Carolina right now. But you know what we can't do? We can't call it bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> because legally, legally, the federal government has recognized bourbon that if you make this promise, that's it. Yeah. It's only Kentucky. Now, it can be anywhere whiskey. else is whiskey. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we need we that's where I'm on. Like that's where I want to go next. I want to codify the culture. Now, that's a little harder to do, right? When it's a product. It's very easy to say this product is or is not authentic. How do you authenticate a culture, right? Like, how do you how do you codify that? I don't know. I don't have the answers, but I am putting it out in the atmosphere because I know somebody listening will be like, "Oh, I know how to do that," and you know, we can get we can get on a good foot. Exactly. No, no, no. I, I one man. I truly admire your passion and the knowledge you have for the culture of not just your family, but the region of your state. Right. And that's, that's one of the reasons I want to talk to you. I know you, 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 you punched me on, um, on IG, but I was like, no, 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 you, you definitely on the list, but, <laughs> but <Appreciate you. laughs> nah, for real. Cause I, I just think a lot of times as people, especially in this social media generation and the climate of just, detachment that I feel that we have. And I don't know, you said something earlier I wanted to chime into, but like when you're talking about minimalism, but yeah, we'll get to that. But yeah. no, I think like people need to really recognize that. Cause like you have something worth sharing is right. it's not just worth it to you. And it's not just worth it to black people. I mean, right. everybody needs to know this. Like right. if you are a South Carolinian and you are proud South Carolinian, you need to know all the history of your state. Right. You know, exactly. Because sometimes, I I mean, I tell people, like, you know, you probably heard me reference this a lot. Like, I read a lot. I got a ton of books. And sometimes when I run out of time to read, I'll just start buying up stuff on Audible, right? I checked my account for Audible the other day. I got over 150 books in it. It's, you know, I want to know. I want input. Yeah. Johnny Five, I want input, right? There you go. (laughs) And just to know this stuff and, like, not be afraid to learn or even go down a dark path to your history. Like I'm from Edgefield County. You could Google bloody Edgefield and you'll find so much stuff, so much history. Yeah. The home of 10 governors, 10 South Carolina governors came from Edgefield County. And large part of the state constitution that we still operate under came from Pitchfork Ben Tillman. Google why he's called Pitchfork Ben. Exactly. Right. And then let's go even down deeper down the rabbit hole. Uh, man, I can't think of, I can't think of his name at the time, but his cousin, who was a lieutenant governor, left the state capitol to walk across the street and then murder the editor of the state paper. Yep. 
And like people don't know this. Right. And so when when people that do know or when people, you know, wake up to a lot of their truth, it's not anger, really. It's more frustration of the fact that they didn't know and they weren't taught. And then yeah. they look at the world as like, hey, y'all don't know either. I'm not mad at you for not knowing because I didn't know. But I become more mad if you turn your turn your shoulder to it or turn a blind eye to it to even understand. Like, hey, change mm-hmm. needs to happen. And yeah. it needs to happen, one, with education. Because the, yeah, the more you're educated, the more you know that, hey, this is wrong on so many right. levels. Because now I know. And something I li- I like to add to that is, um, you know, I spoke on a panel a couple of weeks ago for the Charleston Forum. And one of the things that I said during that forum is that you, you said, you know, things need to change. And I agree. But I want us to be more specific when we talk about change. True. We say things like, uh, you know, the time's not right or, you know, we got to wait for the right opportunity. And a lot of times that's just coded language for the white person who is in charge is not ready to give up their power. Because think about it, right? Uh-huh. When is it the right time to give up slavery? It should have never happened, right? First of all, but the people who were in charge were not ready to give it up. We talk about women's suffrage, right? The yeah. white people in charge were not ready to let black women or women vote, specifically yeah. white women. Black yeah. women were not included in the women's suffrage movement. Um, you know, every change that comes along. Now, all of a sudden, you know, these brands, they want to be on the right side of history. Why? Because the people who are in charge, 90% of them are white people. A lot of times, let me not say 90%, a lot of times they're white people. We're waiting on white people to get uncomfortable with our oppression. And I'm over waiting. So even if the change doesn't come, I just have no problem now letting people know, oh, no, no. You know, like most devs said, we act like hip-hop is some giant in the hill that comes down to visit the town people. We are Mm hip-hop. We are social change. So if you don't like the laws, if you think that there are laws that are disproportionately affecting you, you don't, you know, they're like, wait, you know, we got to wait till the right time to change law. No, bro. There's a person in that seat who makes that law or who perpetuates that law. So that means you need to look at who your solicitor is. You need to look at who your governor is. You need to look at who your mayor is and your city council people. Because they're the ones that can decriminalize weed right now. Yeah. And stop arresting black people and, and brown people for dumb stuff. They're the ones that can make a hate crime in South Carolina right now. Right? Like, we don't have to wait. There are people in the seat. But I think another part of your education part, uh, statement that is so important is that black people are not have not been afforded a quality civics education. Oh, every man, four on, years, every four years, we yell at black people. Y'all need to go vote. Y'all need to go mm-hmm. vote. Y'all need to go vote. And but then why? after the election. Well, who? Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> no one asked those questions. And then after the election, it's over. We don't talk to them again for another four years. Yep. Um, you know, there's a graphic going around right now. X amount of black people didn't vote in Florida. X amount of black people didn't vote in Ohio. X amount of black people didn't vote in Wisconsin. And that's why Trump won. No. Number one, stop putting the responsibility of federal politics on 17% of the population. Exactly. Black people make up, depending on which census you, you know, you're looking at, anywhere between 12 and 20% of America. 
America's like 330 million people. 17% of the people shouldn't have, right, shouldn't bear the responsibility of making sure that the rest of y'all don't vote for crappy people. And then here's another thing. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by 3 million votes. Mm -hmm. So this idea that if black people would have voted made a difference, no. No. Swing states where white people live, they voted for Trump. So you take again, when you when you don't when you frame a narrative a certain way, you allow certain people, you absolve them of their responsibility. Yeah. When you say cha- when you say change is coming, you absolve the person who's in the seat now from having to do anything. Mm-hmm. When you make graphics that say X amount of black people didn't vote in Florida, you absolve the white people and and our Latino brothers and sisters, because there's a lot of Latino brothers and sisters that are low-key Republicans. Yeah. They they voted for Trump. It wasn't us. And then, if anything, Stacey Abrams showed us that a lot of black people don't vote, not because they don't want to, but because they get purged. Hey, man, I know people here in South Carolina like that were purged. I, I'm not going to put their business out, but I mean, people that vote, vote faithfully, vote locally. Yeah. And yeah. So you, you get, we, we are, we are, we are jailed more. So we have criminal records. And then some black people think that once you have a criminal record, you can never vote again. That's no. not true. Once you paid your debt to society, you can vote again. Yep. No but restitution, no parole. Exactly. Yeah. Who's educating them? So that's a group of people who ain't voting. Right. Then you got a group of people who feel disenfranchised no matter what. We've never acknowledged that disenfranchisement. We just say, well, if you vote, things will get better. Nah, bro. <laughs> nah, I've been black for 50 years. We've had eight different presidents or six different governors or seven different mayors, and mm-hmm. I'm still poor. So we don't deal with their disenfranchisement, right? We don't deal with the exact ID people who can't vote, the people who've been purged those people so we got like four or five groups of black people who can't vote mm-hmm. or don't vote because of a lack of education and then you still want to turn around and browbeat us because trump is president that ain't on us no That's but i'm not our fault and and I, I say this and some people they frown when i say it like i'm one of the people i'm like yeah voting is extremely important but I'm not one to just say, hey, let's do a voter, a voter, what is, um, voter registration, registration drive. Yeah. I'm like, no, let's do a voter education drive. Because half these people that are running out here, they only know to vote every four years. And they right. never think about, hey, who's your governor? Right? right. Who's your governor? Who's your who's your solicitor? Who's your um attorney general? Like yeah. no one knows. And when you try to, you know, when stuff happens, and I get it, I'm guessing you, you've you experienced this too because you, you're passionate about the education piece, so am I. It's like when stuff happens, people want to blame the name they know. But they never think to know, like, hey, maybe it's more to this, and I'm just not in the know. And I've been, mm. like, schooling folks constantly, like, hey, stuff that happened in South Carolina, when you're, let's say, you're dealing with, police brutality, get some understanding of where it happened at. What city was that? All right. So now you know what city that was. All right. So find out who that police chief was. 
Like, let's get some information going, right? Because yeah. we, we'll do these campaigns to just piss people off and get them all riled up. But then it's like, there's no information for real change. Because now you need to know, like, hey, that mayor may be a strong, they may have a strong mayor form of government. So there we go. So now that police chief is appointed, well, basically hired by the mayor yeah. completely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so if you yeah. have a problem with the law enforcement officer, now we got to change. Let's let's root it out from the whole way. Let's get it. Let's get right. the root out. And a lot of times right. people, they'll just get mad. They're like, oh, this officer, this officer. But let's talk about let's just be real for all the things that happened in the world. And I know some people get mad when I say this, but I say it. I be like there are more good officers than bad. There are. And because, and I say this because I hire police officers. Now I've had opportunities to, you know, have to work with some officers that we had to part ways for reasons of of work performance. And just sometimes you just don't fit, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not a black or white thing. You just don't fit. But the thing is we got to know how this whole system works. Cause I tell people a lot, like, Hey, let's be, let's think about South Carolina. We're fortunate that our police Academy didn't have to just write tickets to be funded, you know, Yeah. before it was yeah. ticketed. That's how it was funded. And then it was eight yeah. weeks, but now it's a line item in the state budget and it's 12 weeks. I believe it needs to be longer, but then you, you got to get into it, but it goes back to elections and education and not just the yeah. whatever, like talk about police. Cause that's the, the, the buzz word or the hot topic, but yeah. it's, it's so yeah. many other things like even learning yeah, how like funding that. goes into your community. Yeah. Some people be like, like um, for, for my area, you know, folks are like, hey, we need a park. I'm like, we do need a park, but we got to figure out a way to fund it. Like, there we go. We're a small town. It's not just going right. to come, that money can't just come straight from taxpayers. Like, there are so many right. other things that have to happen in this town. So, right. I tell people all the time, like, you don't work for me, we work together. Yeah. And so, as a citizen in my community, hey, any idea is worth hearing. You got an idea right. I can get some grant money? Let's talk about it. Let's so, do it, right? You Let's know? do it. But, I like your ideal about voter education more yeah. so than voter registration because, you know, that's one of the things people don't even know who to really be mad at, right? And they so don't. You yelling at, like, for instance, the city of North Charleston does not own the majority of its roads. Mm-hmm. We don't own the majority of its roads because the city was Charleston, and then we became North Charleston. Those roads were already here. Yep. So the county owns them or the state owns them, but we don't own, we as a city don't own many roads. Yeah. So y'all, don't, yeah. y'all probably and don't even have the equipment to maintain the road. That's another thing. For bro, we, think don't, about. we don't have a Department of Transportation in North Charleston. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? We, we have the, depending on what year, between the first and the third highest GDP in the state. We make more money than almost any city in South Carolina, and we do not have a Department of Transportation because the roads were already here. Mm-hmm. So what I say, I say that to say, yeah, potholes sucked. Traffic sucks. But yelling at the mayor ain't going <laughs> to really fix that. No. Because he don't control the roads. Now, in Charleston, they have a director of transportation. Shout out to Keith Benjamin. Um, he is spectacular at his job. That's a little different. They have a little bit more leeway because they have a whole department. Now, I'm sure it's not 
staffed the way that Keith would like it to be staffed. I'm sure he would like to have more money. But yeah, no, no DLT is. Like, all of, yeah, all North, of them are running at a deficit, and all of them are running short of staff. Correct. So North Charleston, though, has none. So yelling at your city council person about potholes, they're going to be like, well, let me see what I can do. Do we even own that road in the first place? Mm-hmm. Oh, you know let, what I'm saying? Let, like, let's expound on that, if you don't mind. Let's, let's yeah, go further than the pothole. Let's go to the tree on the side of the road that mm. needs to be cut. Most people don't understand. Tabernacle. If you look at a road, you go to the center line, right? And right. from the center line to, let's say, your yard, probably three to four feet of your front yard where it touches the road isn't even yours. Don't belong to you. You still <laughs> got to cut it, though. <laughs> you still got to cut it. You still have to maintain it. But right. if the street or well, the city decides to come in and put a sidewalk, they're going to put it on their property. Well, technically yeah. not the city. The city can approve it. The county right. will do it or outsource right. it like SCDLT does a lot. Like we got a lot of subcontractors. Yeah. But it's like it's stuff like that that folks don't know. They're like, well, who's going to cut the street down? A limb fell. It fell on my car. I'm going to sue the city. City don't own that. Right. Exactly. But I think that's where your education part comes into play. And even when it comes for those who want to run for office, I mean, exactly. my, my experience, man, let me just say this. I can say this because next month it'll all be over. But I got in major trouble with the ethics commission. Major trouble. Because I had no clue what I was doing. Yeah. None. There's no, no clue FAQ. What I was doing. Yeah. I had no clue. So I'm out here spending money thinking like, oh, well, this is good for my campaign. I'll just buy that or I'll buy that or I'll spend it on that. Being late with the paperwork, not filling out paperwork, like just a bunch of little stuff that nobody taught me. Mm-mm. You know what I'm saying? Some boy came in. Bruh, I'm going to say this without saying names. Now, I'm saying this <laughs> as a matter of fact, not as a matter of hate, right? Like I'm over the feelings that I had when it happened. The emotional growth has happened. Really, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm past that. But black men crapped on me while I ran for office. Now, I didn't realize it until it was over, but those are the people who, who took advantage of me. The culture vultures, you know man. Yeah, like, because I didn't realize that running for office is like getting married. When somebody hears that you're getting married, that cake that was $20 is now $57. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When you're I running do. for office, your homeboy is not your homeboy, but some guy who'd be willing to do X, Y, and Z for a hundred bucks. Now that turns into 900 bucks because they know you out here raising money. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know that you'll get taken advantage of. So hear me now. They're black. I'm black. You know, you a black man. I'm a black man. Y'all like, Oh yeah, we need more brothers to run. I'm going to listen to you then. You say this going to cost $300 for your time? All right, brother. That makes sense. Here's $300. Yeah. What's going to cost you $900 to do here? Here, no problem. I don't raise the money. I got to spend it anyway. Here's the $900. Then you realize, wait a minute. These brothers did nothing for me. Man. In fact, they got me in trouble. Well, they didn't get me in trouble. I got me in trouble because, you know, again, the responsibility falls on you as the candidate mm-hmm. to fill out your paperwork and do all that other stuff. But they were part of the reason why I got in trouble because 
they're like, okay, well, what about this $300? What about this $900? What about this $1,200? What about this? What about that? And, you know, me, black man, I'm like, I'm going to stick to the G-code, bro. I'm not about to snitch on nobody, bro. I'm just <laughs> oh, no. You know oh, what I'm saying? No. Not realizing that, <laughs> bro, this is real life. This is serious business. Yeah. These men done went on with their life. They probably fleecing other people. You know what I'm saying? And then, like, that's why the education process is important it, all the way around, whether you're running for office huge. or whether you are, you never plan on running, you just want to be an educated voter. Black people, we got to educate each other, man, because those dudes, yo, there was a period of time where I literally had to grit my teeth when I saw them because I wanted to stick them. Like, stick, for those of you who do not know, uh, is a Charleston term for punching someone. Uh, I wanted what? to. What? You ain't going to box them in the mouth? Well, you know, box is also relevant, <laughs> but, um, you know, that's, my, that's one of my favorite Charleston expressions. Sometimes but... I want box, sometimes I want stick. <laughs> I wanted to physically fight these men once I found out, you know, like, damn, no boy played me, bro. I wanted to fight them. Man, I, uh, I understand because running for office is one. People should take it really seriously. And that's something that I think a lot of times people take it lightly because it's really easy to run for office. Like, very easy. You just go, you make sure you well, live in the right district. You have yeah, enough money. Say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like you get, do your, do your background. And, and yeah. truthfully, they'll tell you, you go up, show them your ID, give them your information, your zip code and where you, where you at, where you vote. They can pretty much tell you where, where you are, where you are in the district, yeah. or if you're, yeah. you know, you want to run for a Senate seat, a House seat, or whatever, um, city council, county council, mayor, so have you. But once you have now registered, like what you're saying, once you've now registered with, with your county, and that's for going to the state, where they're going to print up mm-hmm. ballots, no one tells you. And, I, man, I'm sorry you had to go through that. And it's like... Oh, I'm not. Yeah, I mean... Well, I'm it's good you went through it, that, I had, that you had to learn. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry that it happened because it was an, it, I won't even say it's an unnecessary lesson. It was a good lesson because mm-hmm. now when I run again, you know, I play chess, not checkers. So when I run again for something, I'm going to go right back to those boys and be like, oh, <laughs> I paid y'all for, business, for, uh, for, for services not rendered. Run me, either run me them services or run me my money. <laughs> well, I tell you what. Um, yeah, I I I help on a lot of campaigns. I, I'm a consultant as well. I'll help you. Right, we'll get you straight. We'll get you squared away. Well, see, here, but here's the deal, right? Like, I don't mind. Here, okay. So let me. I'm not going to put out any of those names because I don't feel like giving negative energy yeah. any space. But there are some people who were very helpful in the process, right? And some people who didn't help me, but at least they were honest with me. Like um, uh, uh, Wendell Gilliard, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody who will not be named brought me to him. I took this man out to breakfast. Like I paid for Wendell's breakfast um, for you know for for an opportunity to meet this brother because I'm running for state house. You in the state house? Let's let's chop it up. He tells me up front, "Yo, I can help you, but it's gonna cost X amount of dollars for me to do any work." Now, at the time, I was like, what? Like, 
we're supposed to be brothers, you know, like, <laughs> but, but it's, it's but, a job. It's truly yeah, a job. But exactly. And I respect him because he told me the truth up front. Unlike some of these other dudes that was like, yo, I'm here, man. I'm here for you. I'm by your side. And then they'd be like, man, you know, I'm doing a lot of work for you. You should probably give me some money for this. And I'm like, well, okay, I guess I'll give you money. But also, <laughs> I thought you were here to help. Like, I don't know what to do now. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, anywho. So Wendell Gilliard, he didn't help me, but he didn't hurt me. Gotcha. Marley Kimson, he didn't help me, but he didn't, he didn't, he personally didn't hurt me. He was very, he, no, I would say he did help me. He didn't hurt me. Some people that he got me in touch with played me, but he never did anything to me. Uh, Senator Margie Bright Matthews, by far, if there is one award that I had to give to somebody who looked out for your boy, I would give two awards out, actually. One to Senator Margie Bright Matthews. She got all these black men to come to my first political fundraiser. All these elected officials now, right. black elected officials. None of them would answer my phone. She calls them as like, yo, show up <laughs> this place this time. And they all come and they all write checks. Hey, you can't be mad at that. That's good stuff. No, not mad at that. Like, but she, if she didn't do it for me, like these black men would have just ignored me. You feel me? And I always give her credit for that. Um, J.A. Moore, who is now in the district, District 15, I, I tell people I loosened it up for him. You know what I'm there saying? You, you pump. Yeah, exactly. He ran after me. Uh, he gave me great advice. In fact, full disclosure, he told me not to give anybody money. He was like, if somebody really wants to help you, especially because you're in a flippable district, right? If they care, they'll put the work in. Otherwise, don't because you're going to start spending money, KJ. You're not going to know where this money going. And I'm all like, yeah, yeah, that's good advice. And what I do, turn right around, and because these people was with me every day, start cutting checks for no damn reason. Mm. So I got to give J.A. a shout-out as well. <laughs> he was great. Uh. Me and Jamie Harrison got into it for a little bit. Um, there was a period of time where I didn't care for him much because he was the chair of the Democratic Party at the time. Uh -huh. And he donated a whopping $200 to my campaign. I'm like, bruh, you told me that this is flippable. You're not, you're not sending no money my way. You're not giving me no money. You're not giving me no advice. The only time he called me was when I quit. The last week before the election, I quit. I told Jessica, I'm not campaigning no more. I'm done. What? Yeah, I told her, I'm done. I felt used. You know what I'm saying? I <laughs> oh, felt man. abused. I was hurt, bro. Like, you, you got to understand I was sitting on my couch March 2016. I didn't have to do this. Y'all told me, y'all gassed me up and made me think I can do this. And then I get in the race and none of y'all showed up for me. And the people who did show up for me took money from me and oh, gave it, it with nothing I, in return. I, 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 man, I'm, I'm so, not. Anyway, I, I mean, listen, I don't have no beef with Jamie. I had some hurt feelings at the time. But, I mean, listen, people ask me all the time, should I be giving money to Jamie? 1,000%. My parents have donated. My cousins have donated. I'm a donate. Like, Jamie is a good dude. I'm just telling you, at the time, 
not knowing how any of this works. Yeah. I'm like, oh, well, you're the state chair. You said this district is important. I thought you was going to be doing a lot more work for your boy. And I think but, I think that's a that's that is a huge misconception for a lot of folks is knowing what the role of the state party really is. Yeah. You know, because yeah. the state party is its own operation, its own machine. And and really, they is ran. You know, it's ran off the donations that it receives from yeah. people like, you know, yeah. for for your, your, your card carrying yellow doll dims, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times we'd be like, hey, I'm running. But you think about it, it's what? Oof, 46 counties. So yeah. it's a lot of people running. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then no, you, you're absolutely right. And then you and then you think about too, how much can a party do in one race versus another? And then that's when they need outside help. They can, you know, put you on the coordinated campaign or they can run some fundraisers out of state for you that can put you on people's radar. Hopefully right. that works. But I, I think that's a big part too that goes back to the man, education. The education part. I guess it's not just yeah, exactly. older education, now, but after, it's also candidate education. Correct. So, you know, after a while, because after I ran for office, then I then I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna be caught with my pants down anymore. And I started learning more about the game. I eventually ended up working for um conservation voters in South Carolina, mm-hmm. which was also a great learning experience on how to interact with you know, and just really how this game works. But I don't feel like people should have to get raked over the coals to learn the game. Like, we got to find a way to make it easier for people. And when I say easier, I mean easier to get the information they need, not easier like push a button and you automatically win your seat. But no, I think um, I think you're I think you're right. But I think there's a but there. And you you know, it, you know, just like I know it a lot of times people will never open their mouth. They'll walk past mm. you, me, um, use Jessica as an example since you ran your campaign and have all these questions, all these ideas, and never open their mouth and then jump out ah. there. And this this is on my end. This is what I've seen. They'll jump out yeah. there and then they they mad at you when y'all have never had a conversation. They're like, man, KJ ain't called me. Jessica ain't called me. Terrence ain't called me. Or shouts out to my my friend Crystal Spain, who's running the coordinator with the state. They were like, Crystal didn't call yeah. me, and it'll yeah. be like, did you call them? Because I think I think sometimes we forget that what what they say. Um, your your ideal and your time does not emit a uh, emergency on my end. Yeah, like, like I don't know, like I don't know. I need to call you. What's going on? Well, I see you. Know you. What? <laughs> Let me. Here's another deal, right? The problem is people don't call. I'm going to speak for me because I was a newbie in 2016. Mm -hmm. People don't call because the political process is purposely mysterious. (laughs) It's purposely mysterious. You can't, if people knew how simple some of this stuff is, there's a lot of people who would be without a job right now. You feel me? Oh, yeah. They have. So if I knew it was that simple, if I knew, all I got to do is just pick up the phone and call Terrence or KJ or XYZ, right? All I got to do is go to this website. All I got to do is read this book. If people knew it was that simple, then 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 the walls would come crumbling down. That's, and, the, that's and, the world. If people knew how yeah, simple exactly. the world really was. 
Um, but as it relates to politics, you know, a lot of this is based on pomp and circumstance. And, and so, you know, wait your turn and that's not how it's done. And, and, you know, there's a reason why people hate politicians because of stuff like this. Now, for me, it turned a different way, right? Like mm-hmm. I got burnt and I was like, I want to learn everything I need to learn. I'm going to get more involved. You know, I'm a contrarian by nature. So like, I'm going to learn all the little, well, okay, this is how it's always been done. Well, what if you do it this way? There you go. You know, like, so, but it could have turned out where I got burnt and I could have become a huge detractor. You know what I'm saying? I like vote, vote what, vote for what, run mm-hmm. for what, donate money for what, you know, like <laughs> I could have become that guy. And and that a lot of people do. A lot of people, yeah. they don't even have the heart to do what you did and run. And like you've, you've said yourself, even running and losing was still a benefit. Like they Very don't, much. they don't have the heart to do it and they'll just stay on the sideline and they'll look at what happened with you. They were like, see, this is why I don't vote. This is why I don't do right. this. This is why I don't that. And I'm like, quitting at anything will never yield a victory. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Anything. I don't care if you, I don't know. You, you quit putting high octane gas in your car. Okay. Well, I mean. You know how this is going to play out, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know how this is going to end. Listen, dog. Sometimes quitting is pretty awesome. <laughs> because, listen, hear, hear me out, dog. They're just, I'm not a worrier, right? And there's some things that I'm just not going to, you can call it quitting if you want to. I'm not about to put my energy into this. Once I've realized okay. that this thing for me, I'm going to quit. Um, and the way that what? politics is, you, you well, resign. the way you you resigned from it. That's what you okay. did. You re- <laughs> okay. You took a sabbatical. Resign. But I'm I'm gonna say like the way the political machine works, it's not built to be inclusive. It's not built to include black women. Black women have to fight to be put there. It's not built to include um, you know, LGBTQ. It's not built to include low education people. Mm. It's not built to include the single mom, the single dad who has to work, right? Because your city council meetings are at five o'clock in the afternoon. Well, I still got kids. They got school. They got homework. Yeah. Like the system is not built to be inclusive. And then we turn around and get mad at people for not knowing how the game works. That's our fault. Like that's, and I say our fault, people who are engaged civically, it's our job to make the road easy. It's mm-hmm. our job to make the road plain. And we don't do that. And so that's why when people call me for podcasts or to ask me for my advice, sometimes people leave the conversation like, I did not think you were going to say that. But like, if if you don't tell people, then when they come back and be like, dang, KJ ain't even, how does man even tell me X, Y, Z? No, not on my watch. You know, and I guess I would say I agree with that. I, I really do. Because... I came out of complete left field getting into politics and not just getting into politics, but getting into politics in the area of the state where I'm at. And yeah, I was in the dark on a lot. And I guess that's what mm-hmm. makes me one of the people that to me, I overshare and I overshare for right. clarity. I'd be like, Hey, yeah. hey, I ran for mayor. Well, I ran for city council and folks be like, Oh, how'd you do that? Okay. Well, my cousin is a graphic designer. 
right? So we designed my website. Uh, we designed my flyers, my yard signs, my this, my that. So I didn't have no yeah. crazy costs out there. And, you know, I'm pretty decent with Photoshop. I got nice Nikon, so I could take good pictures, you know, stuff yeah. like that. And so, you know, just oversharing. I tell people, when I got elected to the city council, my first city council check came, and I just, I I was just at a loss. My first city council check, it started off at $75. Ooh. But after taxes, it was $65, $64, something like that, right? And I'm sitting there. Right. And, and I tell people, like, even me as mayor, like, it's, oh, man, you and you know, you know, just like I know any any person out here in our community, black folk, when you got a title, that means you got money. They don't know. Oh, how, yeah. They don't know where you where you work at or what businesses you run or what you invest Thank in. You. They just be like, oh, you got this title or you got money. So they're like, oh, Terrence yeah. is the mayor. I tell people all the time, my mayor job pays me two hundred and fifty dollars a month after taxes and I think I, I run my state insurance and something else through there, just paying it out. I think it turns into $190 every yeah. 30 days. And for the level of, whew, no other way to say it, just headache and stress yeah. and time that yeah. goes with it. No one else would do it. So when you say like, it's not inclusive, it's not. I tell people all the time, most when you look at politics and getting elected it is for to me i look at it, it's for retired people it's for retired people they, or people that are independently individually wealthy. wealthy people yeah that's it because the right. thing when you said earlier being a, a legislator and you only get ten thousand four hundred dollars here's another part you got to factor in you would have been going from north charleston to columbia tuesday through thursday Yep. Every week for six months at that time. I think the right. session has got shorter now. Right. Six months, bro. Six months. Come on. So if you did have like, a job, you would have to quit. Right. Or if you were what most legislators are, lawyers, I got some, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you, no, no, but you're, you're absolutely right. And that's what I talked about. The system is not inclusive because if you really wanted fair representation, you wanted everyone to really feel like they were a part of government, you would give state representatives a livable salary. Now, you can argue what livable is, right? $40,000 mm -hmm. in North Charleston and $40,000 in Edgefield might run oh, differently. two different things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But still, if you were if you were giving people the opportunity to make a livable wage, then more people would run. But you know what? They don't want more people to run. That's what I'm saying. Like, this is not an accident. These things are not accidental. Um, and But it's our job. It's people like me and you who know the game to be real, especially with our own people. Like, yeah. Some, you know what I mean? Like, even city council. Like, you just... <laughs> A $60 check? $60. Bruh, and you, you're going to get every phone call in your district. <laughs> you know every I mean? phone call. Even and, from people who ain't in your district because they know you. They're like, oh, Terrence is my homie. Let me call Terrence. Like, bro, you don't live in my district. Well, you can't help me. Like, you know, so you, you're right. That's why you get lawyers. You get retirees. You get individually wealthy people. And until those things are brought to the light and changed, which I don't think they'll be changed because – why do you want 
a school teacher to run for state board, I mean, you know, state house, when she knows everything there is to know about education. You can't play her at all. No, you that's why I want. Them education subcommittee meetings? No. They don't want them problems. <laughs> no, no, no. They don't want, I, I'm not even going to call it, I, I'm not going to give it that. They don't want that level of truth to be given to the masses. Mm. And that's what that's what it takes. That's that's why like you have somebody, um, and not to make it all. I, I'm I tell people, you know, hey, you you know where I stand, but I, I try not to go too deep down the rabbit hole and pull people one way or the other. But having somebody like, in my opinion, who was a school teacher, like Molly Spearman. Molly Spearman, mm-hmm. yeah, she's a Republican, but a lot of people don't know she's from right up the road from me. She's from Saluda. She she initially ran. She's a Democrat for a long time, and she was a school teacher for a long time. And so having her over education, it changes the lens, but it also changes the conversation. Now the question right. is then, kind of like what we're saying. Now let's let's take it back from the state house and let's make it local. How many folks are organized at their local level to even have the proper meeting with the secretary of education? You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, like you and me could go in there, but can we get 40 of us to have a true meeting, a sit now, and really a work session? Yeah. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. But the answer would probably be no, because teachers work during the day. Exactly. And then after school, they grade in papers, and they got their own kids and their own lives. Exactly. You're absolutely right. And then it pushed back on both sides. It's like, well, all 40 of these people have this going. And then this one woman also has all these things going. Yeah. And so it, it, you know, to your point, I feel like, was it, I don't know, I guess like the question is, was it designed that day, that way, or was it intended to become this way? It was, if you ask me, it was designed that way. These are not accidents. Because truthfully, like, for instance, I think we need more representation on all level of governance. The city of North Charleston has about 110, 20,000 people. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have 10 districts. That means if you do the math, each district is represented or, or is representative of about 10,000 people, give or take. Mm-hmm. Give or take, right? Some districts a little bit more, some districts a little bit less. Why? How are you actually, as one person, supposed to interact with 10,000 people? You can't. It's oh. not possible. Come on, let's scale it up. Let's go for Congress. Three to four hundred thousand people in addition. Come on. Thank <laughs> you. If you ask me, our Congress needs to be doubled. At minimum doubled. At minimum doubled. And I'm even willing to go higher than that. Because there's no okay, we got what well, in South Carolina, um, how many congressional districts? Six? Seven? seven. Yeah. Seven. We have seven congressional districts in a state with four million people. Seven people are supposed to know how four million people think. That'll make yeah. well, no sense. Well, we're about you're you're off by a million, million and a half. We're about we're about five, six, five, five. Oh, pardon me. No, we're, but I'm just saying, like even more. Like even more people. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So yeah, <laughs> how is seven people supposed to know the will or direct the will of 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 five million people, bruh? That's not logistically possible it's just not we need we should probably have double the amount of yeah that's what i said i said double we should have 14 congressional seats in south carolina at minimum 10 
at minimum 10, if mm. you ask me. But you know why it's not going to happen? Because people enjoy power more than they enjoy resolution. Mm. You know, And when you become a congressman, see, that's a real job. You get paid, paid. <laughs> well, I you don't know. know. I mean? But think about it. To deal with uh, three, 400,000 people. Well, but then here's something to think about. Congress, the average congressman on their schedule. Their, their true schedule, they work a little over 100 days a year, and the rest is it's work, but it's not, let's say, office hours work. Now they're out. Cost, but they should cost, be Yeah, well, yeah, you know. <laughs> we know that. But, I mean, they make, uh, well, buck 75, buck 74, two, something like that. And, like you said, like, if you look at cost of living, all right, that's a lot. That's a lot more in different areas of the state. And then they represent about what, 11, about nine to 11 counties, maybe more, but mm -hmm. I think about 11. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a tough job. Like, how do you know? It is a tough job. But yeah. listen, they also have, let's be real, they also have staff, mm -hmm. right? So it's not like they're answering every single email. Here's no, a great no, no. example. I have a really good relationship with Joe Cunningham, mm -hmm. right? But I also have a really good relationship with two people on his staff. You feel me? With His staff has like five or six people on it. So, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that their job isn't tough. What I'm saying is we can make his job way easier if there were three or four more states, you know, seats in the state. Divvy up some of that workload now. I understand where you're coming from, $175,000 a year to make laws that will literally be life or death for some people. Yeah. You feel me? That's a heavy burden, and $175,000 might not be enough. But, again, I want you to tell that to somebody in Johnson, South Carolina. Oh, tell no. that to somebody in North Charleston, South Carolina. They'll be like, boy, please. Exactly. And I think, I think but that's the, that's the argument of most people. Like any salary somebody throw at you, you'll be like, man, I'll do that with my eyes closed. Right. I'll do it. <laughs> with you know my eyes closed. Yeah, like you'll be like, I'll do that, da da da, until you do it. Yeah. Until, like you say, like when you ran for office, getting those phone calls of even people, and you haven't even taken, taken like possession of the seat yet. Exactly. And people that need help, need you, need you to come speak at this, need you to come to this, to that, to that. You'll be like, just the headache alone. I tell people yeah, sometimes when lot. my phone doesn't ring, I have two phones, and sometimes I feel like I should have a third just for me. You know what I mean? You probably should. Yeah. You should. You probably should. Exactly. Also, you should move to North Charleston to run for mayor in North Charleston because our mayor makes like 170 bands. Man, let me tell you. Hold up. Let me put y'all on my Zillow radar. Let me see, <laughs> <laughs> let me see what's out there. See racks on racks on racks. <laughs> But and then, but no, I get it. I, I really do. But number one, let's you know, I, I truly appreciate this conversation. And for all those listening, thank y'all for t for tuning in. But obviously, y'all see me and KJ could go in on this. But man, I I yeah. love your perspective and like everything you said. Like from you know, man, we we talking about sne sneakers. We ain't even went all the way down the the, the hip hop rabbit hole. But um, sneakers, politics, you running their culture of not, not even just the culture of Charleston, but the regional culture of yeah. what the Gullah Geechee corridor, like in all of that, all the islands it consumes, 
you know, like last time I was in Charleston, I did some I had never done. I took a tour. Like I really oh, like I don't know. I was downtown. Thing cost me like, I don't know, 30, 40 bucks maybe. And took a tour. And that was so cool to me because like I see all this stuff, but I never, you know, had a guide per se. Like I'm out here seeing things and I'm asking people later. But anyway, that was I tell people like just because you're from South Carolina or just because you even got family in Charleston, take a tour. Sometimes you learn some cool new stuff. But yeah, sure. but man, I, I truly appreciated this combo. And I, I don't want to. I don't want to turn this into like one of them two hour long podcasts that people be like, "Man, why it's so long?" But it's good though. It's good content. I almost want to feel like I want to put this out as like a part one, and we we wrap again in a couple months. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, let's, let's wrap listen. again after the election. Yeah. If it's if it's the will of the people, let's do it. You know what yeah. I mean? Let's let's do it after the election because I I got hella thoughts, man. Um, I got thoughts, conspiracy theories, all kinds of things. Like, you know what I mean? Like, trust me, once, you, once you're in the public eye, the conversations you have will sometimes either broaden your horizon and expand your thoughts or scare you to, maybe I shouldn't go outside. Maybe y'all right. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, I just want to, I want to thank you for the platform, for the opportunity. Uh, my only goal was to not be your lamest interview. That was my only goal. Don't be the lamest <laughs> interview he's done. And hopefully I, I accomplished that. Um, I appreciate you, man. No, man. Thanks. Thanks. For real, for real. But hold on, hold on. In closing, though, is, you know, I, I got my question for, for you to become the alumni of the show or the cousin of the show. Let's do it. Let us do it. So every year, well, outside of COVID, Corona, how that's going. But every year my mom has this cookout. She invites way too many people. Um, but I want to invite more, even more people, right? People that have been on the show so we can just have a good dialogue and da, da, da. But if you are invited, well, you are invited. You're invited to this cookout. My question is, what would what dish would you bring? Knowing you from the low country, whatever I call everybody from close to the water. Knowing, knowing you from down that way, what dish would you bring, but also... What dish would you like to leave with on your cupboard plate? Oh, that's easy, bro. Uh, what I would bring is a cooler full of ice with blue crabs because they can't be dead. <laughs> if they dead, we can't cook them. We can't. You can't cook dead crabs. They decompose way too fast. So I bring a cooler full of. You, you hibernate them. You put them to sleep on the ice, and we bring them up, boil them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We boil them and we gonna share. We gonna I'm gonna teach everybody how to open up, how to bust them blue crabs down. Boy, look, okay, okay, I, right, right, I'm gonna talk about that. But right, what you want to take away? What you want to take away from the good <laughs> folks of Johnson? What you want to take away? I, I am a pescatarian, right? So, because I'm by the ocean, all my seafood, or all yeah, all my seafood is basically ocean-based seafood. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think I've ever had a a good trout, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I want some freshwater seafood. I want to. I want to eat some stuff out the freshwater. Well, let me. I'm Whatever gonna put you on is. them. I'm put you on some of them crappy, them brim. Might get you a little hybrid bass oh. going. Oh yeah, we got. Yeah, you. I like brim though. I do like brim. My dad likes brim. He's from Tennessee, so I definitely know about brim. Okay, but um, yeah. <laughs> Hi, you said hybrid what bass? It's, it's like this hybrid bass. Like my uncle schooled me to it. He fish. Sometimes I tell him he fish way too much. But hey, he keeps showing up with good meats. So, yeah, Let's do it. 
Hey, well, those are some great choices. I got to give it to you. No one has said bringing like, like something like that, like bringing like blue crab, bringing something yeah, like a true cultural delicacy that you got to teach people mm-hmm. what to do. Like my people up yeah. here, you know, we get a little fancy. We travel a little bit, but I don't think we know how to bust open them blue crab because I truly don't. That's why I tell people I don't like eating them. It takes too long. It does. It's a it's a labor of love, though. Nah, put me on them oysters, though. But <laughs> I, I can get with them oysters. I got a butter knife. I'm straight. There you go. <laughs> but, man, thank you for doing this. Truly, truly, man, I appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time. Tell all your fam. I said, what's up? Anything I could do down your way, you know I'm a phone call or a text away. So There you go. Black Food Fridays, everybody. Peace.